The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the Anxiety and OCD Podcast where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders, taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello and welcome to episode one. Today I'll be sharing more about what this podcast is about and how it can help you take back control from anxiety and OCD. I'll be telling you a little bit about my story of OCD and how I learned to manage it so that today it barely bothers me at all. I'll also be giving some top tips about how I deal with anxiety and how you can too. So first off, what's the podcast all about? As an anxiety and OCD coach, I wanted to create a podcast that would be helpful for all sufferers of anxiety. I also wanted to create something entertaining and fun, because if there's one thing that anxiety doesn't like, it's humour. The sillier, the better. Uh, excuse me, but my name is Mr Anxiety, and I like humour. No, you don't. Get out of here. Um, that was ridiculous. Sorry about that. Anyway, there are two types of interviews that I'm going to be doing. First off, I'm going to be interviewing therapists, coaches and other professionals that work with people with anxiety and OCD. The idea is to find out more about the different types of treatment because when it comes to getting over an anxiety disorder, knowledge is king and the more we can find out about it, the better. I'll be going into detail with the therapists and coaches to really unpack their different approaches and to get their top tips for managing anxiety. What I really want is for you guys to finish each episode with some helpful takeaways that you can start applying straight away and that will hopefully start to have a positive impact. The second type of interview I'm going to be doing is with other people who have suffered with OCD and anxiety. Now, the reason I'm doing this is because when I was really struggling with OCD back in my 20s, one of the worst things about it was how alone I felt. At the time, I had no idea I had OCD, But even if I had, it probably wouldn't have helped that much anyway, as at that time, I simply wasn't open to speaking to anyone about mental health. Sometimes, particularly in the UK, when I was growing up, people would become extremely uncomfortable if you started talking about mental health, particularly if you're a man. There's something both ridiculous and commendable about the English character that we'd rather cut off our own leg than to complain about something and cause a scene. As my grandmother would say, Don't cause a scene, Robert. Sorry, Gran. (laughs) She was actually lovely. One of the things that helped me the most when I did finally find out I had OCD was reading other people's stories online and in books. Realising that you're not alone and that literally millions of people around the world suffer with OCD and anxiety is incredibly powerful and uplifting. In particular, though, if you are suffering from a specific OCD theme, It can be a game changer to hear other people talking about it. Suddenly, what may have felt like an obscure and bizarre problem that only you must suffer from becomes something completely different. And this can ease the suffering and lead to breakthroughs. Finally, the podcast is also going to be about the outdoors. 
For me, the outdoors has always been incredibly important. I absolutely love it. And there's so much research that is done into the outdoors and how it can help people who struggle with anxiety. So with that in mind, I'm going to be interviewing lots of different people who work in the outdoors and finding out more about how it can be so helpful. For example, Wim Hof, the uh, Dutch Iceman, is uh, somebody I'm particularly interested in right now. And he has some really interesting methods for, for dealing with anxiety. Um, so that's something I'll be really looking into in the near future. Um, obviously, the outdoors isn't a cure for anxiety and OCD, but it's definitely something that I think is really beneficial. So next up, I wanted to tell you a little bit more about me. So my name's Rob, and as you can probably tell from my British accent, I'm from the UK. <laughs> um, I have a background of working in education as an outdoor activity instructor and primary school teacher. Last year, I moved into the coaching sphere and set up Robert James Coaching with a focus of helping people with anxiety and OCD. My coaching is based on the principles of acceptance commitment therapy, or ACT for short, which has been and continues to be a huge part of my recovery. If you want to know more about ACT, you can check out my blog or you can get the amazing book, The Happiness Trap by uh, Russ Harris. So intense anxiety and OCD all started for me at the age of, of 16 when I was at college. I had pure O, which is actually quite a misleading term because with OCD, there's always going to be compulsions involved. And actually, if we want to get better, we need to start getting a, a bit better at spotting the compulsions that we're performing. The themes that I really struggled with uh, to start off with because they mutated and changed over time were uh, harm and sensory motor. Harm is quite self-explanatory, but sensory motor, not everyone knows about. This is when you get completely focused and locked in on previously unconscious bodily processes like breathing, blinking, or even swallowing. Like all themes of OCD, this can be extremely excruciating because you take these things with you no matter where you go. And uh, when a thought pops up when you're, when you're somewhere, with, maybe you're with your friends or maybe you're... I don't know, you're in a university lecture or something. And when these thoughts pop up, they can really take all of your attention and can leave you feeling with such intense anxiety that you just don't know what to do about it. Um, so, yeah, that was my experience uh, from the age of 16. And I dealt with that for many years until my early 30s when I finally began to turn the corner with OCD and anxiety. I'm going to read you an extract from my blog about OCD to give you a flavour of what it was like for me. My mental health was in serious decline and my thoughts became increasingly negative and obsessive. I didn't know it at the time, but this was the start of a much more persistent anxiety problem, obsessive compulsive disorder. It became almost impossible to think clearly at all. I treated any self-doubts as if they were true and fused with them immediately. It was a really difficult time. I wasn't even 18 and I felt like I was losing my grip. In my mind, I had to escape. So I applied for a place at the University of Cardiff in Wales and was accepted. Off I went, but not surprisingly, I wasn't ready for it and almost immediately dropped out, unable to focus on anything than the anxiety and the accompanying obsessive thoughts. I arrived back home to disappointed looks from the parents and a sense of hitting a whole new low. Once anxiety has been bothering you for long enough, depression can become a serious side effect, particularly when you don't understand what's going on 
or have any tools to manage it. I remember losing interest in just about everything. Whereas before, I'd loved adventure sports and spending time with family and friends. Now, the only interests I had were drink and drugs. Perhaps worst of all was the fact that socialising with anyone other than my closest friends had become terrifying, and I avoided it as much as I could. So as you can see, and as I'm sure many of you can relate to, for me, when I was younger, the best way for dealing with OCD and anxiety was alcohol and drugs. But of course, over time, this just compounded the problem and made things worse. Fortunately for me, though, I came to the conclusion that drugs and alcohol were clearly not helping me and were only making matters worse. So I completely stopped with the drugs and cut right back with the alcohol. And that certainly made uh, a big difference. However, as we know, OCD is a sneaky little beast and always seems to find a way to get back in. You may feel like the OCD's gone and that you know, you're better and you, know, you can finally get on and start living your life again. However, OCD will be there in the background, waiting. Uh, it might have gone on holiday for a short while, but unless we really kind of get to the bottom of it, it will always be there kind of waiting for us. And uh, yeah, it sounds like some kind of horrible monster coming to attack you, but that's how it feels like so often. Um, it, it literally is the, the most ingenious uh, problem because it's always there when you have a, a bad moment or when you're not feeling 100%, that's when OCD can creep up and, and start making you feel bad again. And um, back then, as I was starting to feel a bit better, I started to think about if I could get back to who I was before the obsessive thoughts took over. I felt like I needed to know with absolute certainty that now I was back to normal and that I wouldn't have these obsessions anymore. But obviously, it was impossible to get this 100% confirmation. And there was always going to be some doubt. And it's this very doubt that is the honey in the OCD trap. And the more you fight with it, the more stuck you become. Doubt is an absolutely key word for me with getting better. Because if you can somehow learn to accept that doubt a little bit more and get on with your life regardless, that is when you start to feel so much better. Back when I was really struggling, the only thing that really helped me during the really dark times um, was exercise. It literally was a shining beacon for me. And without it, I would have found it incredibly hard to get on with my life. Exercise gave me just enough anxiety relief to still more or less get on with my life. I managed to hold down a job for a year, save some money and head off to Australia traveling. This was a really important transformative period for me. But unfortunately, OCD doesn't respect the boundaries of countries, and it came along for the ride. The travelling experience was good, but it was punctuated by intense episodes of OCD. I came back, though, determined to get on with life, despite it, and applied for university again. It was a battle, but in the end I came through and overcame the anxiety. But how did I do it? Well, here's another excerpt from my blog, and there's quite a few tips included for how to manage anxiety. And please refer to the blog for a full list of sources. As you probably already know, anxiety comes down to one word, fear. The big question is, are we willing to experience fear or not? Although we must show compassion to ourselves, whether we like it or not, fear plays a major role in our lives, and to overcome it, we must learn to accept it. Despite this being incredibly hard at times, I have found that acceptance is the number one tool in learning to overcome anxiety. However, 
I would like to note here that acceptance is an extremely confusing word in regards to OCD, so much so that I wrote a whole blog about it. By acceptance, we do not mean that you agree with, the, with your thoughts or that you think that they are true. No, by acceptance, we mean making room for your thoughts, even the difficult ones. When we make room for all of our experiences and not just the good ones, then in my experience, they tend to not bother us so much. We have evolved to feel fear when our safety and well-being are at risk. And without it, we wouldn't even be able to cross a road without coming to a sticky end. But for me, and I'm sure for many of you, fear can have a habit of getting out of hand and taking over. In fact, many of us seem to be predisposed towards these feelings. It's simply how our brain works. The fear centre of the brain is known as the amygdala. And for people with anxiety, it works over time. Researcher Gina L. Forster and her colleagues found in their study entitled The Role of the Amygdala in Anxiety Disorders that hyperfunction of the amygdala appears to be a key component of human anxiety disorders. Any small threat is often overestimated and the amygdala starts sending out messages of imminent doom which our bodies then respond to, leading to a heightened sense of alertness, faster heart rate and that uncomfortable feeling in the pit of your stomach. This is often referred to as the fight or flight effect. So, what can we do about this overactive amygdala? Can we break the chain of events that leads us to feel like this? Hell yeah, we can. Um, <laughs> you can do it. I've done it myself and you guys can do it too. Part of what it takes is finding out more about anxiety and OCD because when you really find out exactly how it works um, and what's keeping it going, that really helps you then to, to work out ways that you can really effectively deal with it. For this reason, I spent years reading about anxiety and, and finding out everything I could online because obviously I was struggling so much, I needed to find a good solution uh, for dealing with it. And I came across so many amazing books that were really helpful in learning about anxiety. But perhaps from all these books, one of the most important things I learned is that we always have a choice. The famous psychologist and Holocaust survivor, Viktor Frankl, claims in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, that the one thing that you can't take away from me is the way I choose to respond to what you do to me. The last of one's freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given circumstances. This amazing quote is right on the money. We are in control of our perspective, our choices, and what we make of the situation we find ourselves in. When anxiety strikes, we have a choice to make. We can run from it, fight with it, or as we discussed earlier, slowly learn to try and accept it. What choices do you habitually make when you feel anxiety? Do you run from the fear, fight with the fear, or do you try your best to accept the fear? If you choose to run from it, it would be like refusing to do an important presentation at work or not asking an attractive person out because you're afraid that they might reject you. Unfortunately, though, running from fears just makes them stronger and harder to face the next time. Fighting with it would be like doing the presentation but through gritted teeth. You would be just about hanging on in there, but it would be a horrible experience. The final and only truly positive option is to accept the anxiety for what it is and get on with your life regardless. You would do the presentation whilst trying to be present to everything that comes up inside, and that's it. Notice that I use the word trying. That's because you don't have to be doing it perfectly. The mere act of giving it a go will get you moving in the right direction. You won't make the anxiety worse by fighting with it, 
and you won't wear yourself out ruminating about what you're going to do when the anxiety turns up because you're expecting it and you are prepared to feel it. When I was learning to apply acceptance to my life, I found it incredibly hard to begin with. And it's true that acceptance takes a lot of practice. Like with any new skill, you will make mistakes and there will be setbacks. You may even question if this is the right path for you. I certainly did because I I was getting it so wrong to start off with and it took me a long time to get there. But through perseverance and the right support, anyone can learn to bring more acceptance into their lives. And fortunately, there are tools that can help you. One of the best techniques we have is our breath. Whilst meditation is obviously talked about a lot, and rightly so, there are other powerful breathing techniques that can help. But let's start by discussing meditation. A 2011 study research paper from Harvard University entitled Mindfulness Practice Leads to Increases in Regional Brain Grey Matter Density well, that's a mouthful, um, demonstrated that there were, as the title suggests, longer, longitudinal changes in brain grey matter concentration following an eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction course compared to a control group. Hypothesized increases in grey matter concentration within the left hippocampus were confirmed. When I found out about this research, I was amazed. It gave me such hope. As it seems, we're able to change our brains, and as a consequence, how we feel. You see, I'd always thought that we were stuck with what we had. And if what we had was an anxious brain, then that was it, and there was nothing we could do about it. We were cursed to spend our days dealing with anxiety and OCD forever. Ah! However, (laughs) as the research shows... Uh, Sarah Lazar and her Harvard research team found that the mindfulness-based stress reduction, um, MBSR, increased cortical thickness in the hippocampus, which governs learning and memory, and in certain areas of the brain that help with emotion regulation and self-referential processing. There were also decreases in brain cell volume in the amygdala, which is responsible for anxiety, stress, and the fear response. This is incredible, Meditation, then it seems, changes the part of the brain responsible for our control of emotion and perhaps even more amazingly can decrease the size of the amygdala. With each passing month there are more rigorous research papers touting the benefits of meditation. Another amazing fact about meditation is that it teaches you to be more aware of your thoughts. I used to ruminate a lot because of my anxiety. In fact, I remember a time when I had to give a presentation at university And from literally about a week before, I couldn't think about anything else. I was completely fixated and obsessed upon it. And it was ridiculous. I was going to bed and I I was just focused on that, worried about everything was going to go wrong, feeling anxious and anxiety all day about it, waking up in the morning feeling it. And this negative anticipation, you know, it ends up kind of draining you and making you feel so sick and tired. And obviously, when the presentation actually came, I didn't do very well with it at all. And meditation taught me to identify these kinds of unhelpful behavior patterns and to let them go. And because it also helps you to become more present and to be um, aware of what's happening in the present moment, it makes you much better at dealing with stressful, high-pressured situations because when you're actually doing the presentation or if you're in an interview for a job, if you can just be in the moment and really focus in on exactly what you're doing 
at that moment in time. That really helps you to perform at a much better level. In an article for Harvard Health Publishing, Dr. Elizabeth Hoag, a psychiatrist at the Center for Anxiety and Traumatic Stress Disorders at Massachusetts General Hospital and an assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, wow, uh, claims that mindfulness meditation is very helpful for anxiety. People with anxiety have a problem dealing with distracting thoughts that have too much power, she explains. They can't distinguish between a problem-solving thought and a nagging worry that has no benefit. Meditation can really help you distinguish between those nagging worries that everyone has and those obsessive thoughts that are clearly part of OCD or or extreme anxiety. And the great thing about meditation is it allows you to see um, the difference between those two things. And it's so important that to get over OCD, we can recognize when we're having a genuine worry and when we're worrying about something that is clearly part of OCD or clearly just obsessive. Meditation for me is like a superpower in regards to that. The way that I use it has been so beneficial for my anxiety and stress. And I'm much better equipped these days to be able to spot the obsessions and the compulsions that I perform to try and deal with the anxiety that I get from the obsessions. Another breathing technique that I use is the Wim Hof method. Hof, who has spent years perfecting his approach, uses the combination of a special breathing technique and exposure to the cold to manage his internal states. He claims that his method is so powerful that it allows him to enter the body's autonomic nervous system, a feat traditionally thought impossible by scientists. Once inside, he can control how his body reacts to normally extreme and stressful situations, The results are impressive. To help illustrate his point, Hoff performs outrageous stunts like swimming under the Arctic ice or climbing Mount Everest in nothing than a pair of painfully small yellow shorts. He holds many records for these stunts, including the longest ice immersion world record, which he he completed by standing for 72 minutes in ice-cold water. In his opinion, because we all have the same basic physiology as him, with practice, anyone is able to do what he does. Hoff is now committed to demonstrating the effectiveness of his method through science, and there have been numerous studies that do actually support his claim. In a research paper entitled Brain Over Body, a study on the willful regulation of autonomic function during cold exposure, Researchers at Wayne State University School of Medicine, Professors Otto Muzik, PhD, and Bayahab Diwadaka, <laughs> I'm saying that completely wrong, uh, sorry, uh, immersed off in an ice-cold water and used functional magnetic resonance imaging, fMRI, to study his brain and positron emission tomography, PET, to study his body. The results, when compared to a group of healthy comparisons, were incredible. The practice of his special breathing technique appeared to allow him to generate his own heat and control his core body temperature. The FRIM scan suggested that to do this, Hoff was somehow tapping into a part of the brain that is known to control sensory pain. The researchers comment in Science Daily that we observed more substantial differences in an area called peridactyl grey matter, located in the upper brainstem. This area is associated with brain mechanisms for the control of sensory pain and is thought to implement this control through the release of opioids and cannabinoids. 
If this is in fact true, it could have profound effects on how we go about treating persistent illness and anxiety problems. Diwidaka comments that the practice of the Wim Hof method may lead to changes in autonomous brain mechanisms, a speculation that has implications for managing medical conditions ranging from disease of the immune system to perhaps more intriguingly for listeners of this podcast, psychiatric conditions such as mood and anxiety disorders. Not long after starting the Wim Hof breathing, I was sat in a meeting with um, a boss who wasn't very happy and it was a really stressful situation. And I remember thinking at the time, wow, I'm, I'm dealing with this really well. And despite receiving what I felt was some unfair criticism from my boss, I managed it really well. I waited calmly until he'd finished making his point and then confidently and politely counted his, his argument in such a way that he wasn't able to say too much back. Whilst perhaps this isn't going to resolve all of your problems with anxiety or OCD, it is a really, really helpful technique. And as Wim likes to remind people, perhaps a little bit rudely, just breathe, motherfucker, breathe. Hmm. Anyway, moving on. I believe the true path to anxiety relief comes from building these strong foundations, first through the work of acceptance, and then by discovering other approaches that speak to you personally and that can take you to the next level, such as diet, breathing, exercises, laughter, biohacking, and many more. We'll be exploring all of these and many more things as the podcast develops. If you have a story you would like to tell about OCD or anxiety, then do please get in touch and we can discuss. And likewise, if you would like to know more about Robert James Coaching and how I can help you manage your OCD and anxiety more effectively, then don't hesitate to get in touch. You can email me at robertjamescoaching at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram. Thank you so much for your time, guys. I really hope you enjoyed this podcast and that you have some great takeaways that will be helpful for you. Don't forget to tune in to the next one where I'll be speaking with Lauren McMeekin from the OCD Center of Los Angeles. It's a really interesting interview and it clearly comes across that Lauren is a fantastic um, therapist working with people with OCD. And we look into and discuss ERP, mindfulness, acceptance, commitment therapy, and many other things along the way. Okay, many thanks, guys, and see you next time. Bye-bye. Remember, if you want to know more about me, you can check me out on Instagram, Robert James Coaching UK. You can go and join the Facebook group if you like, the Robert James Coaching Anxiety and OCD Support Group. And also, you can check out my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. Many thanks. And now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer. Any information that you view on my website, Instagram page, Facebook group, or anywhere else online, or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor, psychologist, or any other medical or mental health professional.